you to come back next Sunday in, uh, in regards particularly not only to our corporate worship, uh, but also for the congregational meeting that will follow. And it's going to be my opportunity to lay out for you some of what the session is thinking and the leadership who have, who have talked about these things and to lay them out before you to see, to see what God may be doing and to come back, if you would, plan to bring your own dinner and to come back out to the pavilion on Hicks and Pike Sunday evening for a picnic in a time of question and answer and dialogue, uh, we want to talk. And we really need to do it as a congregation. So uh, I would invite you to come back next week. Uh, so this week and next week, I'm taking that opportunity to talk uh, about faith, about stepping out, about what God may want to do. And sometimes I think we, we live in a little box. God wants us to live in a wide field. And so we come this morning to Matthew chapter 22, chapter 14, verses 22 to 32. John 14, starting in verse 22, hear the word of God. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came and he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, and it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear, and immediately Jesus spoke to them, and he said, take heart, it is me, it is I, Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. I want to stop there. (laughs) We all know that that he saw the wind and the waves and and his faith wavered and he began to sink and Jesus saves him. But... But I want to stop right there. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. Let's pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning and the chance to be together as your church. We gather and come into your courts with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We come longing to know you and to love you. We come longing for you to speak into our lives in the power of your word, in the power of your spirit, and to do something new. Father, we come to sit at your feet, to learn of you. We're tired of ourselves, and we want to learn of you. In Jesus' name we come, amen. It's a really shocking story, it's one of those stories world out there has a hard time with. They have a hard time with any of Jesus' miracles, whether it's feeding 5,000, which is what happens immediately before this, and, you know, or healing the sick or rising from the dead. And they have a lot of problem with this because they don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. But if Jesus is who he said he was, then this is no problem. There's no problem with any of the miracles, right? All, All you need to do is it has much to do with who was Jesus. If Jesus was who he said he was, the living Son of God, incarnate, God become man for us and for our salvation, then then these things that he does are not only not a problem, they're a no-brainer. That's who he was. The Lord 
Jesus Christ. So we get this story of Jesus breaking a law of nature, doing the impossible thing. You know, it's, in, it's impossible unless he is who he said he is. And you see by the end of this section in verse 33, those who were in the boat <laughs> worshipped him. Right? They were on their knees before their God in worship. True. You are the son of God. You are who you say you are. We see it in the things that he does. And so we have this story, uh, this great story, really. Jesus hears about the death of John the Baptist. It's disturbing to him. He feels the need to be alone with God, to be alone with his father. And so he gets in a boat and he goes to the far side of the Sea of Galilee and he gets out. When he gets there, he finds that a crowd has amassed. Someone let the word out. They kind of, uh, you know gathered there by the time Jesus lands there's a great crowd and so it says he has compassion on them and he heals their sick and he spends time with them far into late in the day and as you get late into the day it says that Jesus uh, as he finishes up uh, feeds this crowd part of his compassion is they're hungry give them something to eat Jesus performs a great miracle again overcoming the laws of nature the laws he created to feed this massive crowd. And after he feeds them, he sends the disciples away and he dismisses the crowd. And he goes for that quiet time with the Father that he had intended from the beginning. And it says, we're told, you know, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go on before him on the other side. And he dismisses the crowds. And after he's dismissed them, he says he goes up onto the mountain by himself to pray, to be with the Father. And he has this time... When he is finished, he comes down, and we're told that it's evening, that he was alone. The boat was quite a way out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, far from land. The boat is against the wind. It's going, and and so it's struggling to make headway, kind of like paddling in place, running in place. The boat is out there, but it's not getting there. And so... Verse 25, Jesus comes in the fourth watch of the night. It's dark. I don't know. There are a lot of folks who have trouble with boats to begin with. Uh, You know, you get out in the middle of the water, especially at night. The water's just dark and deep, and there's nothing between you and it but the boat. You know, and and being out on the water at night can be a little scary. Well, I'll tell the story. I was out on the boat with a guy who used to go here. He was an elder here, and he took me out sailing. We were sailing, 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 and I'm watching the sun going down and down and down, and we're sailing, and I finally said, I'm like, you know, dude, are, how long is it going to take us to get back? Is it going to take us as long to get back as it took us to get out here? And he's like, yeah, I guess it would. You know, what time? You know, so we turn around, the sun sets. You know, I'm out in this sailboat in the, the middle of, of the lake out here, you know, looking for a light on the shore. He says, I think that might be the harbor. You know, we're in a sailboat, and we're heading toward this thing, and the water's dark. The boat is small. You know, I think he knows what he's doing, but then again, I'm out here in the dark. Jesus comes striding across the lake like God himself. Comes walking up to the boat. There's this glimpse of power. This is where Jesus, his glory is veiled. God in in the flesh, uh, veiled in flesh, the Godhood seen. We sing at Christmas, the incarnation, veiled in flesh, the Godhead seen. 
And here in, in the flesh of Jesus as he walks and he eats and he sleeps and he lives with his disciples, every now and then they get a glimpse through the veil of the Godhead. He feeds 5,000. He heals the sick. He had compassion. He stayed there to heal them. And then he comes walking on the water. And so they get a glimpse of power, something that you and I, it's hard to understand. In fact, most of the world just plain rejects it. This kind of power doesn't exist within the creation in our sphere. The ability to suspend laws of nature at will. It's disturbing. In fact, the word that says they were terrified is a word that, that describes disturbance, right? It's, it's disturbing. You know, my paradigm is, is, you know, you're tilting my picture here. You know, my paradigm is shifting. Jesus, this glimpse of what Jesus can do. The power of God. The disciples are terrified, and Jesus tells them, they don't need to be afraid. It's just me. It's your Jesus, your rabbi, your teacher, your Lord, your Savior. It is your Jesus. You don't need to be afraid of me. I'm not a ghost. I've come to you. I come to you in power, um, but I come to you. And Peter's imagination, and I love this, this whole thing, is, you know, it says they're all terrified in the boat. As soon as Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me, Peter is not afraid. And his paradigm does shift. This is the Jesus I know. This is the Jesus I follow and walk with and eat dinner with and who teaches me and who I have left everything to follow. This is my Jesus. And as soon as he sees, this is my Jesus, Peter's imagination starts to catch fire. You know, most of the guys, I assume there's 12 guys in the boat. One of them sees possibility. I don't know about you. I just saw it the other day. We were watching a movie, and somebody had wings, and they flew. You know, they're one of those a suit with wings in it. And I'm looking at it and thinking, I'm, I want me one of those, right? I, I would like to do that, you know. When are they going to come out with that so that I could buy it at Walmart? So, <clears throat> you know, here's Peter looking at Jesus walking on the water. And his imagination takes off, and his faith starts to work, and he begins to picture himself. I want to do that. this is the Lord Jesus out there, then game on. He can, do, he can do anything. I can do anything. I want to walk on the water. Jesus, let me, walk on, let me walk on water like you. Let me come out there. Let me do the impossible with you. Let me walk with you out there in a dark sea where the wind and the waves are pushing the boat and it's dark and it's deep and it's whatever it is. I don't care. Jesus is out there. Let me come out there and walk with you. And Jesus says, verse 30, come on. Come. Get out of the boat. <laughs> you know, this is, for me, it's amazing. Peter does right here in this moment, because he does get out of the boat, he does here right in this moment what five minutes ago you never would have asked or imagined, right? It would never have crossed his mind to think, you know, maybe I'll ask Jesus if I can walk on water. You know, maybe I'll ask Jesus. He could never think or imagine or ask such a thing until he glimpses, and he gets a glimpse of Jesus, a fresh glimpse, a glimpse of power, 
a glimpse of something, a glimpse of a Jesus that just got bigger in his eyes. You know, he, you know, I've been calling him Lord, but he's Lord. You know, and so what he didn't even imagine five minutes ago, he's asking for, God, do that. You know, Lord Jesus, let me do that. Let me enter into this thing that you are doing. And Jesus lets Peter walk on the water to build his faith, to expand his faith. That Jesus, for that little moment, there are two lessons there. One, the walking on the water, that with Jesus, with God, all things are possible. And, and if you walk with Jesus, you just might walk on some water. But at the same time, there's that lesson of Jesus. As soon as he saw, he took his eyes off Jesus. And we all have heard that sermon. You take your eyes off Jesus, and he begins to look at the waves, and they're big, and the wind, and it's strong. And, and he begins to doubt, and he begins to sink. Jesus has to reach out and bring him back in. And so there's two, you know, there's that lesson of taking your eyes off Jesus and your, your, you know, your, your belief in what Jesus can and will do. But there's first walking on water. See, I believe that we have vision in proportion to our ability to seize the power of God. Right? We, we have vision for what God may want to do, what God can do, what God is doing somewhat in proportion to the glimpse of the power of the one who we're talking about. As soon as Peter got that glimpse, the list of things that were possible got longer. Right? We need that glimpse of his, this Jesus who walks on water and feeds 5,000 right after he heals their sick. This Jesus who is Lord and King, who is the, the maker of all things and can do all things. We will have vision and expectation and hope and, and take risks in proportion to the ability to see the power of God. Peter begins to believe that if Jesus wills it, he can do it. Call me out there and I'm coming. God can do more than we ask or imagine. Do you believe, my friends, this morning? Do you believe that if Jesus wills it, you, Peter was no bigger or smaller, no greater, no lesser than you. Peter was just a guy, a really funny guy, actually. You know, at times downright goofy. He was just a guy. Do you believe if Jesus wills it, you can do anything? And that, that there may be something exactly that he is calling you and telling you to get out of the boat more than you could ask or imagine five minutes ago, maybe. That when he gives you that fresh glimpse of who he is, that you start to say, just maybe, Lord, can I come out there? Can, can I enter into this thing with you? Anything is possible. You know, but knowing God's will, I understand, is a tricky thing. Knowing what it is exactly that he wants us to do. And we see in the passage that Peter doesn't just jump out of the boat. There's certain presumption in that. He does just leap over the gunwale and comes running toward Jesus. He asks him, Jesus... If it is you, tell me to come out there. Like, command it. Um, authorize it. You know, will it. If you will it, it will happen, and, and it's good to go. So he asks Jesus. He seeks Jesus' will in the matter. Have you ever said anything like this to your Lord before? Let me step out there with you. 
you sought his will and the, and, and the various things that, 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 that God brings in his providence into your life and your gifting and the life of the church. And let me step out there with you. Let me get out of the boat. Peter wants to join Jesus doing the impossible because he sees his power and he doesn't want to sit in the boat. His imagination catches fire. You know, there are three things from this passage about vision. Let me just touch on them. Three things. And one is that to, to have vision is to see the possibilities. Right? Vision sees the possibilities. It believes God can do anything. And when looking at the situation, it isn't just what can I do? What can I accomplish? Peter sitting in the boat would never have got out of it. It is, it is seeing the possibility. It believes that God can do anything. Right? And when you have that, you have me, which can do nothing, and you have God, who can do everything, and we put us together in a relationship of faith and love and life, um, all things are possible. You know, and there, so there's this coming together. Vision sees the possibilities, not of my limited capabilities, but sees what God can do. Peter saw a possibility where others didn't see it. He's sitting in the boat. There's 12 guys sitting in the boat. It still amazes me they all didn't get out. Right? It still amazes me they all weren't pleading with Jesus to get in on, on what he was doing, to do something out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary, to step into what could be if God were in it. The vision is not just seeing what is. It's seeing what could be. It's the ability to imagine the possible future that God can create because he created the world and everything in it and you and I and all of our capabilities. It's imagining a future. It's sanctified dreaming. What if, according to the power of God, what if? It asks the question, what does God want to do? Because if God wants to do it, if God wills it, if Jesus says, come, then game on. And so it's, what does God want to do is the question. And I don't, think we, I don't think that we ask that question honestly very often. The reason is we are, I, at least for me, I'm not sure I want to know the answer. Because he might say something like, get out of your boat. And step on, you know, this water that's raging around you. It's dark, it's deep, the waves are high, the wind is in your face. Get out of your boat. I want to get out of the boat. I like the boat. The boat floats. Right? The boat is solid under my feet. You know? I, I can grip the boat. It doesn't take any faith to sit in the boat. You know? I'm in control, at least I like to believe, in the boat. What does God want to do? God doesn't care about boats. God doesn't care about boats. He doesn't need the boat. To have vision is to see the possibilities. To have vision is to believe in the power of God. As Peter believes in Jesus' power to call him forth. As I was thinking about this of Joshua and Caleb. And again, there were 12 of them, right? 12 of them go into the promised land to search it out. You know, you go check it out. They all come back. And 10 of them say it can't be done. It's too big. There are too many. It's too hard. It's too whatever. It's dark and it's scary. And, and we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb say, game on. 
And the other 10, with the other 11 in the boat, that generation dies in the wilderness. And Joshua leads a charge into the occupying of the land that God had ordained should be promised and given to his people. And there's this, what can God do to believe in the power of God? Jesus had the power not only to walk in the water himself, he had the power to enable Peter to walk on the water. He believed Jesus could uphold him and empower him to do the impossible thing. Peter knew positively that he could not walk on water. But he also knew positively Jesus could make him walk on water if that's what Jesus wanted to do. Our vision is to see the possibilities. It's to see and believe in the power of God, and it's to step out and take risks because you have to understand with the guys in the boat seeing and believing in Jesus' power like the other 11 did, seeing and believing the power is useless if you stay in the boat. It doesn't make any difference unless you get out. Take a risk. Faith meant Peter had to get up and step onto the water. It's useless unless we do something. We risk something. We believe that, that unless God is in it, I'm going to sink. Right? Unless, unless Jesus is, is active, vision is the ability to move into the future. And, and here's the thing, moving into the future and doing this kind of thing is a paradigm shift, and what happens is, is it requires change. Change is a bad word. We, the church needs a doctrine of change, because we really don't like it. When I guess it's out there, and nobody likes change, and it just makes its way into the church. And we don't like change. We all hate change. We like to be comfortable. I like sitting in the boat. These these. These seats in the boats are familiar to me. I, I know the, you know, I know this boat like the back of my hand. I'm safe in this boat. I like the boat. I don't want to change boats. I don't want to get out and walk. Change is difficult. Somebody was quoting to me a Hallmark card the other day. It says, I don't mind change as long as I don't have to do anything different. Right? I think that's where a lot of us live. In some ways we would say, oh, I, I don't mind change. I mean, you, oh, you meant that? You know, I don't mind change as long as I don't have to do anything different. You know, like it really is going to change something that I might feel. And, and that's hard. We almost need a doctrine of change because God says I'm making all things new. And I am, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. I'm advancing. I'm not sitting still. I'm not staying in the boat. I'm going. Are you going with me? What if God wants to do something different? Are we open? to what God may want to do. Let me touch a couple of barriers to vision. Complacency. Well, we've always done it that way. Why do we want to change? Or it ain't broke. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, and sometimes, there's certain occasions where that's actually wisdom. But as often as not, that speaks of laziness and complacency boat ain't broke. It's still floating. Why would I abandon ship? Why would I get out of it? You know, it ain't broke. Peter didn't, Peter wasn't thinking about the boat at all. His eyes were on imagining a possible future that was, that left the boat in the dust. He was imagining something bigger and greater. He was imagining something amazing. 
the boat was just getting in the way, even though it wasn't broke. In Luke 12, we're told the story of the rich fool. And one of the things that he says to his soul, that we, wherever we are in our Christian life, need to be careful not to say. And the rich fool says, it's in your bulletin under the third point, Luke chapter 12, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, the boat is comfortable and it's still floating and laid up for many years. Relax, relax, relax. Jesus left marching orders and it didn't include relax, right? Go ye therefore into all the world. Take up your cross daily, right, and follow, right? He usually he left marching orders, not sitting orders, right, not camping orders. You know, when a pillar gets up and moves, he says, follow it. Follow the Lord. I think that many times we say relax when God says, wake up. Sometimes we say relax when God says, get up. Be about my business. and Do something. In Luke chapter 14, a couple chapters later, it's in your bulletin, Jesus tells another parable about a wedding feast, his wedding feast, presumably. And again, wherever we are in our Christian lives, I believe this kind of stuff still applies to us and calls to us. Jesus says, come, you know, come. He says to Peter, he's down on the water, come, all is prepared. It's okay, you'll, you'll, come. And it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. Right? The first one said, well, I've just bought a field, and I've got to go out and see about it. I've got stuff to do. Life is busy. You know, I, you know, Jesus, it's like this. And then, you know, then another one said, well, I bought five oaks of yoke of oxen, and I need to go and check them out. I need to, I got stuff to do. You know, and the next one says, I'm getting married. The other one wants to bury his father, and the other one wants to do. And there's a long list of very valid and very interesting and decent things to do in this world. But, but the whole point of the parable is, Jesus says, if you won't come, I'll go find people who will. And he sends them out to the highways and the byways. The point of the parable is, when Jesus says, come, everything is ready, we should come. We should get up. We should go. When Jesus says, come, what is your first response? Well, I would, but I just you know, bought a house, or I, I would, or I'm thinking about doing this, or I would, but, you know, this is going on there, and I would, but, you know, and we have our list of stuff. When Jesus says, come, my friends, drop everything and figure it out. Either it works together for good somehow, or, or we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. I don't know which one it is, but when Jesus says, come, there's a complacency in us to say, you know, I'm busy about my business. There's a fear in us, and I believe that the flesh, the old man, and most of us know the biblical language of the old man, the flesh which resists spiritual things, it's, it's self-indulgent, it loves comfort, it doesn't want to be touched and messed with, it wants to be in control, it doesn't, you know, things are, it doesn't like things out there, change is scary, and so we want to hang on to, and spiritual growth by definition involves change. Verse 24, we're told that the wind is against them. The boat is a far distance from land. It's beaten by waves. The wind is against them. The waves are rough. The sea is scary. They were scared. And fear will keep you in the boat. Part of this story, I mean, I mean, 
it almost is self-evident. Part of the whole point of this story is, as scary as the water is, you need have no fear. As scary as the water is, Jesus wants you to get out. Right? That, that fear that binds us and holds us down and holds us back. And I, I'll tell you, every single time a, a, a believer encounters Jesus in his power or an angel in his power, there's fear and there's the call to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me and don't be afraid about what I'm about to tell you or call you into. Um, I think of God calling Moses. If you haven't read Exodus 3 and 4 recently, you know, go read Exodus 3 and 4. It's, it's almost painful. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I got a job for you. And I got to say, in the history of jobs, it's pretty exalted. It's pretty awesome, right? You are going to go face down the Pharaoh, right? You're going to go face down the Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people into the promised land. Out of slavery, you're, you're going to be the deliverer. You're going to be, you're going to be, and there's this whole thing. And Moses immediately says, I think you have the wrong guy. God says, no, no, I, I don't think I do. <laughs> You know, I've been doing this a while, and uh, I think you are the right guy. And he says, no, 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 I'm nobody. You don't understand, God, I'm nobody. And God says, I will be with you, Moses. I will be with you. So Mo- Moses hems and haws and says, you've got, you've got the wrong guy. Um, and so God gives him his name. Tell them I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh sent you. He gives them the very name of God. I, will, I call you. I will be with you. Here's the very name of God. Now go. And Moses says, no, wait, 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 God. Um, you've got the wrong guy because, you know, I'm not, I don't speak very well. And, you know, and God turns around and says, who made your mouth? What do you mean you don't speak very well? I made your mouth. You know, I, and then he begins to make promises. And he actually does miracles you know, the staff into the serpent. And, the, you know, when he does his stuff, he's called them and he's promised to be with him and he's given him his name and he's done miracles and he's done all this. And we're told then again that, that he argues again. He says, not me. And it says, the anger of the Lord kindled against Moses. It's like this painful, painful process to watch Moses argue with God about his calling and what Moses can do. And what's Moses' problem? He doesn't see G- Peter walking on the water. Like he doesn't see the power of God in some sense. He, he thinks, I've got to do this and pull it off. God is saying, I will be with you. It is the very name of God, the very power of God, the very presence of God. I made you and I call you and I go with you and it will be done. Stop arguing with Sometimes I feel like we argue. I argue. There's complacency and there's fear. And then sometimes my friends, at least in my own life, they're just plain disobedience. There's just the syndrome of the unbowed knee. You know, there's just that refusal to surrender. That, that managed discipleship. You know, I said, you know, I don't mind change as long as I don't have to do anything different. You know, and I think sometimes our discipleship is, I don't mind calling you Lord, Lord, as long as you don't ask me to do anything I don't want to do. I think that's sometimes where we live. 
you're asking me to do something I don't want to do. And, and I live in a managed discipleship where I'm in control and, you know, Moses was being asked to do something that he didn't want to do. And, and like Moses, we manage our discipleship and we say, well, Lord, you know, I don't mind change. If I, don't, I don't mind you being Lord if you don't ask me things like this. Luke 6, 46, it's there in your bulletin. Jesus says to this crowd of followers, there was this great crowd following him and and Jesus is bewildered at some moment where he cries out to him and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say? These things go together. You can't manage your discipleship. The whole definition of the thing here in discipleship is you're not in control, I am in control. And when I call, you come. When I say jump, you say, how high? That's how it works with the Lord, with a king, with a master, with a God who is the one who made us for himself and redeems us and calls us by name. And discipleship involves faith and surrender. It involves this. Genuine discipleship says this. I will do whatever you want me to do, Lord Jesus. Have you ever honestly on your knees, honestly, honestly, like I really will, do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what it is. Just help me to see what it is, and I will do it. You want me to quit my job? You want me to move? You want me to take on this thing? You want me to take on that thing? You want me to serve this way? You want me to be in charge of that? You want me to pour myself out this way? What is it? You tell me what it is, and I will do it. That's discipleship under the Lord Jesus Christ. What is your vision for what God is doing? What is your vision for what God is going to do, what he can do, what he wants to do? I want to think just for, as I close here, just for a moment in terms of the church and a moment in terms of you just individually. And I know, I mean, and you know where this is going. I said in two weeks from now, or actually it's a week from today, is it not, uh, that we will talk about where God may be taking us as a church. And we, you know, the session is elected for the purpose of providing leadership, and we believe that God is telling us this way. You know, we'll sit down and see if God tells us all the same thing, then we're on a go. Uh, we, in that sense, we don't know. We really do want to have a conversation. We really do want to have a dialogue. You, you can't lead if no one is following. Um, it's one of those things. You look back and there's no one behind you, guess what? Uh, you're, you're not leading. So, I mean, we want to have a real conversation, but we want it to be a real conversation about what does God want us to do? And that whatever it is, we would be willing to do it because that's what it means to follow him. Jesus has a vision for his church. He says things like, I'm going to build my church, and you know what? The very gates of hell are going to fall before it. Like, I'm moving, we're moving forward to take territory, to tear down gates. Jesus said, I've bound the strong man. I'm plundering his house. And he says, that's the call of the church. That's the work of the church. It's a plundering. You know, it, it's, it's an advancing kingdom. It's, it's gates falling before the work of the church. And sometimes I wonder, what does this need to look like for us? John 14, well, we'll skip, skip that. Jesus intends to accomplish great things in and through his church. There's no doubt about that. And at some point, a church needs to not maintain, but it needs to dream, and it needs to ask those questions, and it needs to bow its knee and, and to begin to pray and to, and to seek the will of God. Like, Jesus, do you want me to call me to come out there? Vision is not just seeing what is, it's seeing what could be, that if God were in it, beyond what we could ask or even imagine. The story is told 
of pilgrims who came to our country about 350 years ago. It said they crossed the Atlantic. You know what an Atlantic crossing was 350 years ago? Those boats, they, they had like the Nina, a, a, a scale model Nina or Pinta or Santa Maria. One of them was down in Chattanooga at the docks not long ago. And I'm looking at that boat thinking, that's not very big. It's not very big. They crossed the Atlantic in this boat and they set up a, a town site. And in the first winter, they lost half their number to starvation and to privation and to weather. And they established this community in the second year, though those that survived put down roots, built up houses, and elected a leadership to take them forward into this grand new adventure of the new world and freedom. In the third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people got together and tried to impeach the leadership for building a road into the wilderness. They couldn't get, they couldn't see. What, what does that road become when you have that first settlement in the United States? And the, and the leadership is saying, let's build a road five miles out there, and we can, and we can envision a future. The town said, you guys are wasting on public funds, and we are done with you guys. Why build a road? Why indeed? Why indeed? We're asking you to pray with us, to dream with us, to dialogue with us about what God wants to do. But I want to ask you personally and spiritually, what are your dreams and aspirations about how God wants to use you? Are you tired of sitting in a boat? Have you seen the guy flying with the wings and said, I want some of those? I, you know, that's where I want to be. Are you tired of sitting in the boat? Do you see possibilities? Are you ready to get out and test the waters and see if they'll bear you up by his grace? Jesus is holding out his hand to us again and again, saying, come. <laughs> Who made your mouth? Who gifted you and created you in his own image? I know what I'm about. I know who I'm calling. Get out of the boat and walk with me. For you know who's calling. Let me ask you this, is your vision for the future more of the same? Peter glimpsed Jesus' power and he said, game on. Game on, I want to walk on water and I want to do the impossible with you. I'm not content to be in the boat. What about you? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning as those who wrestle with complacency and fear and even just downright disobedience. Oh, we come to you as those who need a fresh glimpse of your power and your glory and the kingdom that you are building and the call that is upon us and the work that you want to do. Come near, Father, and awaken us. Stir in us a hunger and a thirst for more. Let us be on our knees before you, seeking your will, that we may be faithful to do it. For we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.